On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between, this is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. Hello, hello. For the first time in 2024, Brewers Weekly, live here on your home for the Brewers WTMJ. I'm Dominic Catronio. Let's have some fun. We've got a jam-packed show. Let me start with a quick agenda of what we got coming today and a few little odds and ends of headlines here at the start of the show. First and foremost, I will be live Saturday morning, 10 to 12 here on WTMJ or after the fact, as always, on Brewers All Access podcast feeds, live from the Brewers Winter Warm-Up. And I'm not at the liberty to share the guest list yet, but it's a good guest list. I promise some great veterans are going to be arriving as well. Uh, current players, former players, executives, Murph, guys like that. So I'm really looking forward to it. Tickets are still available at Brewers.com. Uh, there's the autograph show from 11 to noon, and then the show begins at noon. So I uh, hope you guys can come on out, see us at the Miller High Life Theater again on Saturday. Bundle up, then we'll come on in, hang out indoors with the Brewers Winter Warm-Up. And uh, I will see you there as well, and we'll have a live show for you here on WTMJ again. That's Saturday morning from 10 to 12. Uh, in today's show, we're going to talk about a few things. First of all, arbitration. Tomorrow, that is the big day. What does it all mean? Noon Eastern time tomorrow. I'll elaborate on all of that, of the deadline to reach settlements on arbitration. Uh, we saw our first settlement today. More on that later. I'm going to talk, if you're going to allow me to, I'm going to get really nerdy with you here tonight. We're going to talk about zips. If you've never heard of zips, it is what Fangraphs uses as their main projection. Now, they also have Steamer, but Zips is made by Dan Zimborski. He's a statistician. He is the best in the biz and really, really insightful stuff. Today, he dropped his Milwaukee Brewers projection for the 2024 season. We'll break all of that down on Fangraphs. As I've said it before, and I'll say it again, read Fangraphs. You'll become a smarter baseball fan. Subscribe to Fangraphs. I do, too. They do amazing, amazing work over there, and uh, it can really help you understand to look at baseball in a different light and look at baseball like a front office person as opposed to sometimes being too much of a fan. We all can be a fan too much at the time. So we're going to break down zips, what all of that means as well. And I opened up the mail back to some questions on my Twitter. If you don't follow me already, I'm at Dom underscore Catronio, D-O-M underscore C-O-T-R-O-N-E-O. Uh, we had some questions come in on Twitter. I'm going to answer a few of those as well a little bit later on in the program. No, I'm not retiring. Shout out to Nick Saban. Shout out to Pete Carroll. Who knows what Bill Belichick's doing? Uh, but only a matter of time. I mean, shoot. I mean, nothing is forever, right? The uh, wild news of the day in the college football world. And let's start talking some baseball because let's before just... we get to that, Dom. Yeah, I think baseball needs to take a lesson from football. We're not even in the off season for NFL. We're barely into the off season for college. And look at the moves that we have. What move? I mean, it's, it's a couple coaches. I mean, Black Monday and coaches retiring. But baseball hasn't done anything compared to that. It's they gotta add a transaction deadline to speed up the process. Right. I've talked about that before. I've mentioned Ken Rosenthal's. Uh, the athletic, uh, he had a column during the winter meetings, like, let's get things going. I'm with him on that. I think it'd make things a lot simpler because think about it. Technically, free agency begins five days after the World Series and nothing ever happens. Like, very minor moves happen those few days. I, I, I could totally get behind that. You have until the end of the winter meetings to sign free agents. Otherwise, you go into a dead period. Now, Players Union would not like that because they would feel that would suppress signings 
and maybe guys wouldn't get as much money as they want, or maybe you have to open it back up to like the week before spring training or something like that, but it, it gets very complicated. I'm shocked that the reigning Cy Young Award winner, two-time Cy Young Award winner, Blake Snell has not been signed. Arguably the best player on the Rangers, the best pitcher on the Rangers during their postseason run, Jordan Montgomery, has not been signed yet. I'm shocked that the best closer available, Josh Hader, has not been signed yet. Uh, I'm, I'm, it makes sense to me that Matt Chapman hasn't been signed and Cody Bellinger hasn't been signed. Um, but again, I know people are sick of hearing it. The fact is that the TV money is a real concern. And talking to some folks uh, around these teams that are being impacted by their uncertainty with how much money they're going to be receiving from a local regional sports network is putting them in this eight ball. From all accounts... The Brewers are not behind that eight ball. They are just in the standard, okay, small market blues. And I know people are sick of hearing that, but it's the truth. And as I've said before, the good news with the Brewers when it comes to the RSN stuff, they're actually in a better spot compared to other teams like the Texas Rangers keep coming up or the Seattle Mariners keep coming up or the Minnesota Twins keep coming up because they're in a better spot because the streaming rights are already acquired by the RSN, which makes them more valuable which means Diamond wants to keep Brewers in their portfolio. And two, if Diamond does eventually sell to, say, an Amazon or, say, to you know Apple, whomever they end up selling to, having the streaming rights already in the package makes them more valuable, too. And quite frankly, as we've pointed out on this show before, it's been reported that the Brewers have one of the more network-friendly contracts in the game because of their market size being the smallest market in Major League Baseball. But you sent me off the rails now, Matt. Matt Sossler, our producer. Let me get to arbitration here before we get to our first break. I've explained it before, but let me just give it one quick start, one quick refresher here. Arbitration. Once you reach three years of service time, you are allowed to have a say in your contract. Years one, two, and three, you have no say. Then three, four, five, or, or four, five, six, I should say, you have a say in arbitration. Once you reach six years of service time, you become a free agent in Major League Baseball. There are things like Super 2s that we are not going to cover today. Arbitration, you get year one, year two, year three, and then sometimes year four if you're a Super 2. You always get a raise. It takes an extraordinary outlier for you not to get a raise in arbitration. There are rules about how much they can... Cut your pay based on your performance. But for the guys that are arbitration eligible for the Brewers, here's the list. Willie Adamas, Jake Bowers, Corbin Burns, Hobie Milner, Yoel Piomps, Devin Williams, and Bryce Wilson. Devin is entering his third year of arbitration. He was a Super 2, as mentioned before. Uh, excuse me, second year, I beg your pardon. Uh, you've also got Piomps in his first year, Milner in his second year, Burns in his final year, his third year, and Adamas in his final year, his third year. Bowers is also in his first year with Wilson. So this is how Adamas and Burns are about to be free agents at the end of next season, depending on what they're owed. The headline you saw today was that Hobie Milner was the first to settle of that list of players I just listed off. You and the team, let's say, you know, to use the example, Matt, you're the player in this situation, and I'm the team, okay? Matt, you come to me saying, I think I'm worth $2 million, okay? And then I sit here, you know what? I think you're worth $1 million. And then generally what happens is the team says, you know what? Let's meet in the middle. You're worth $1.5 million. You sign it. You settle it, and you're, that's your salary for the 2024 season. Sometimes, though, you stand firm, and you say, you know what? No, I think I'm worth $2 million. And I say, you know what? No, I think you're worth $1 million, and I'm going to take you to court over it. So they go to court. They go to arbitration, an independent arbiter, to decide 
whose case wins, the team or the player and whose agent takes care of all this stuff. You saw the headlines last year, Corbin Burns, $740,000. We know this stuff happens to every team everywhere. The good news for the Brewers, even if they give Burns his projected salary this year, they're still well under their budget from last year because of the Brandon Woodruff non-tender and the Rowdy Telez non-tender, a couple of trades they made with Hauser and Tyrone and uh, with Abraham Toro. So they're in good shape with the money-wise. Corbin is projected to make about $15 million. I, I don't know how much, if there's fighting here. Uh, Hobie Milner signed today. that He settled today for $2.1 million, which is 400000 more than he was projected. And he deserves it. I mean, he had a heck of a year. We'll talk more about him a little bit later. So, again, the deadline is tomorrow at noon. It moved up. Uh, the Players Union and uh, the owners agreed to move it up about a month ago during the winter meeting. So tomorrow you're going to see a lot of transaction news Friday, or excuse me, Thursday, to see everything uh, pop off of who's going to arbitration and who's not, what numbers they're filing for, and things like that. So Willie's projected to make $12.4 million. Jake Bauer's projected to make $1.7 million. Mentioned Corbin, about $15 million. You got Pions projected at $1.7. I imagine he'll make more than that. Devin Williams at six point five. That should be pretty much on the nose, I'd imagine. Maybe a little bit more. Bryce Wilson, I think 1.3 is a good price there as well. But hey, a lot of people uh, smarter than me make these decisions. But that's what's going to start popping off tomorrow. Arbitration. Check. We'll talk more about it next week. And hopefully it doesn't become a headline that steals everything that happens at the winter warm-up on Saturday. Take a first break of the show if you want to join us, 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620, the WTMJ talk and text line. Stay with us. I'm Dom Catronio. This is Brews Weekly. Welcome back. I'm Dominic Catronio. Let's, uh, let's start being nerds here for a little bit. Okay, if you haven't figured it out yet, if you've been listening to my show for a while, I'm a nerd. I'm a really big nerd. And uh, one of my off-season projects this year has been learning how to code with Python. Uh, very, very deep stuff. It's it's fascinating. Like computer brother. code? Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating, this stuff. It's really, really cool. It's really fatis- really satisfying when you get a code right. Uh, shout out to Harvard. Harvard puts their computer science class available online for free. So CS50, it's like their introduction to computer sciences. They have it in multiple programming languages, and uh, I've been doing that, and as well as also YouTube University, you know, just teaching myself. And uh, there's a couple other things I've been using, but I'm a nerd, okay? So make fun of me for it. One of the things that you can do with being a nerd in these programming languages is create your own models, and models as in projecting what the future holds and projecting what baseball players are going to do. One of the most famous models that I'm talking about is called ZIPS, Z-I-P-S, named after Dan Zimborski. It is on Fangraphs.com. I said it at the top of the show. I'll say it again. Read Fangraphs, y'all. Again, if you want to be a nerd, you can do that. If you want to be an informed fan, you can do that as well. Dan created this 20 years ago. This is the 20th season he's been publicly sharing ZIPS, and it's gotten better every single year. And to put it simply... It goes deeper than you realize or deeper than I can properly explain on a radio program. But basically, it's a combination of stats of virtually every hitter and pitcher in the professional baseball data age. That's over 140,000 hitters and so on. It's all to establish a baseline. okay? And that baseline is used to be compared to key metrics on the player, like your player's team, the ballpark he plays in, age, body, 
injuries, uh, playing time, uh, contact rates, now lately stat cast stuff with hard hit rates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, everything under the sun. It is a deep, powerful program. What it then does is takes all that, spits out a number that says, we believe these numbers are in our projections for the 50th percentile of this player season, meaning the mean, the average, what the computer says, okay, anything above this is above average. Anything below this is below average, but it's in the models. Think of, going back to stats class here, think of a bell curve, okay? So there's data on both sides of the big hump in the middle of a bell curve, right? But the majority of the data is in the middle of that bell curve. It could be right in the middle of 50%. It could be a little bit a standard deviation. From I'm really Gee, AP Stats 101. I mean, dude, AP Stats was my jam if you can't figure it out. You know, a standard deviation to the left, standard deviation to the right, maybe a couple more. But there's still data on those ends, those outliers, those 20th percentile seasons, those 80th percentile seasons. So it forecasts all of this. But it brings out and says, okay, here's the 50th percentile. He also includes in his article the 20th and the 80th percentile. So that's your visual of it. Let me just give you an example, and let's talk a little bit about last year's zips before we get into this year's zips. So last year, Willie Adamas, okay, zip said he was going to hit 252 with a 321 on base, a 470 slugging, and a WOBA, weighted on base average. That's another nerd stat that I like to use because it's better than OPS. That's going to be one of my New Year's resolutions too, Matt. I'm trying to get people on WOBA a little bit harder. I'm going to force feed it, okay? Grade WOBA just like you would grade batting average. Anything over 300 is very good. League average this past year is 318. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Okay, so we're going to start is using it WOBA. comparable to OPS, like an OPS of 1,000 plus? Exactly, because BA, it gives Wobo, you more of a picture of the player as opposed to OPS, where a guy could have a 500 slugging and a 300 on base and be like, okay, cool, he's got an 800 OPS. It doesn't mean he's a balanced player. Or nah. a, yeah, exactly. It's all very... It, there's still correlation. You know, guys that have good OPSs have good WOBAs, but it gives you a better weight of what the hitting environment is. I can get into another spiel about WOBA. Maybe we'll save that for another slow news week in Brewers breaking down WOBA. But again... Zips projected Willie Adamas in 2023 to have to be about a four-win player and a WOBA of 338, which would be about 20 points above league average. Obviously, Willie did not have that kind of a season. Willie, in actuality, had about a three-win season, 3.4. Zips projected him at 4.2. Now, granted, a lot of that was aided by his defense, so that's why his war got so close to that that number on the Zips, even though he didn't quite perform as he would have liked to. Far below average on batting average on base and well below average on slugging. But yet, he was only eight points off of league average for Woba. So he was a little worse than league average on Woba, which checks out. You know, Yes, his weighted runs created plus was over 100, but it, it checks out that, yeah, he, it wasn't Willie Adams' normal here. But then I can flip it. It can undervalue players, too. So that one, it overvalued Willie Adams thinking he was going to have a good year. It didn't know what to think of William Contreras last year. It projected William to be a 1.7 war player, so almost two wins. So arguably an above-average player, an everyday regular. Didn't foresee much more than that. Obviously, wrong. He was the most important player on the Brewers last season. 5.4 war. Again, defense helped a lot with that with his framing numbers and things like that. But his batting average, more than 40 points better than what Zip said. Uh, his WOBA more than 50 points better than what Zips said. So you get what I'm saying here. There's 
action on both sides of the curve. It can be right about a few guys, and it can be a little too too confident in a few guys, and it could undervalue a few guys and have them exceed those expectations. So let me talk about those three categories here. Guys who outperformed, and just straight up saying outperformed, they were good, like better than what Zip said it was going to be, and it was still going to be a good year. Mentioned William, Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich is somebody that the age curve is starting to get to him a little bit. He outperformed that drastically last season. Last year they projected him uh, to be two wins less than what he actually produced. So Yelly had a great year. You and I both know that. Hobie Milner, who already has been mentioned on this show, his batting average on balls in play was tremendous. As we know, he's a contact pitcher. He froze Bryce Harper. His fielding independent pitching. I told you, we're getting nerdy here tonight, okay? Looking at these formulas, these are complicated. Dude, it's awesome. It's, it's incredible. These people are so smart, and it gives me something to talk about. So, Hobie, great year. Also, Yoel Piams, which makes perfect sense because I remember this time last year, all we were doing was talking about, well, who's in the bullpen? We don't know. Who's in the bullpen? We don't know. Uh, and that those are a few of guys who overperformed their projections. And, and this all lives on fan graphs. You can go back and look at the projections from 2023. The guys that got right, here are the guys that had said, you know what, this is what we see as their average season. This is what we think is going to happen. It nailed Devin Williams. Nailed it. He had a right on the money with war. He had a little more war, point three. It's really hard to accumulate war as a closer. Strikeout rate was almost on the nose. So that was very impressive. Looking back, it nailed Joey Weimer, too. Nailed it. I, I guess we were, you know, believing in the prospect. I was picking Joey Weimer at this point last season. I still think he can be a really good player, but it nailed it. Zips said last year his Woba would be 288. His actual was 284. That's pretty impressive. That that's that's pretty impressive for a rookie who hadn't played in the big leagues. So yeah, that's the other thing. It goes into the minor league stuff as well. Got Tyler Black on there. Like, exactly. I'll get stuff. into him as a little bit later too. Now the guys that got wrong, I'm gonna put my hand up here for Zips. Matt Bush, it was really high on Matt Bush. Now, granted, Matt was hurt for a lot of the year, but we all know how that ended in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jesse Winker, I'll even put my hand up on this one. I was a big fan of the Jesse Winker signing. Obviously, that didn't work out either. But it was wrong in another direction. It was wrong on Abner Uribe. It was way wrong on Abner Uribe. Last year, it had Abner as a negative war player. They were really worried about his walks and his wild pitches. But to be fair... Abner had barely pitched in 2022. He pitched in the fall league, of course, and then was coming back from injury or coming back. He had the injury. He had the knee thing going on earlier in the year. So I, I, I get why it was so low on Abner, but then he blew it out of the water here in 2023. So what I do, I, I, I say it, set the foundation of what it was last year. Now let's go ahead and look ahead to this year, to 2024. We're going to do that right after the break. Stay with me. I know you feel like you're in stats class right now. I know you feel like you're in AP Calc again. You're like, what are you talking? I haven't heard of these acronyms, Dom. What are you doing? Stay with me. We're going to talk about the 2024 Brewers, what the computer, what the math says it's projecting for this season. Stay with us. Brewers Weekly. Jeez. Deep cut there. Wow. Welcome back. Brewers Weekly. Dom Catronio. All right, so you just took your bathroom break. You know, this is like the long block period right now where it's like we got an hour and 45 minutes of stats and you're really dreading this third period class. But here we are. Just came out of gym class, too. Yeah, you're tired. God, you got first period gym. That stinks. Yeah, but, the worst. Um, we're we're going to 
nerd out a little bit more about the 2024 Zips projection. So the last second was all about the past. So now let's talk about what Zips actually is saying for this season. So I got this could not be as dense as the last segment, but let's just go ahead and start with the first point I want to make. Seeing things 30,000 feet up in hindsight, last year's team slugged 385. As a team, they slugged 385. Whereas the Braves set a major league record being the first team to have a team slugging of 500. Baseball. What can you do? But obviously they're going to need help in the slugging department. And Zips agrees. That is probably the number one question. Just like it's your question and my question. Where is the offense coming from? Because heading into last season... You thought, okay, Rowdy Telez coming off of a career year. Willie Adama sending a shortstop home run record that was held by the kid, Robin Yount. Uh, you were thinking maybe a full year of Garrett Mitchell is going to help. Sal Freelich would be up at some point. A healthy Yelly should be good. Maybe William Contreras helps out. Maybe Jesse Winker helps out. Obviously, the power never came last season. Not until Carlos Santana and Mark Kenna arrived. And even to that point, their team slugging after the trade deadline was only 399. So it wasn't like it drastically improved all out of nowhere. Clearly Zips agrees they need pop, they need offense. But number 1, Zips shocker, shockingly loves the Brewers pitching staff. That's even without Brandon Woodruff, as we've talked about over and over again on this show. The Brewers only had about a third of what Brandon Woodruff was capable of last year. They spent majority of the season without Brandon Woodruff. So, yes, it would be nice to have him. He's hurt. He's not going to pitch for anybody this season. But yet, really loves Wade Miley and Robert Gasser, the lefties. Really likes what they have coming. It's, it, Zips is projecting a 50th percentile for Robert Gasser being about 24 starts, 126 innings, and an ERA minus of 98. What does ERA minus mean? So you know how we talk about WRC+. plus or that's graded on you know 100 above and below. Anytime you see a plus, that means it's graded on 100. Anything above 100 is above average. Anything below 100 is below average. Whereas anytime you see a minus, generally we use that for pitchers. It means you want to be below 100. So a 98 ERA minus for Robert Gasser means he's two points better than league average. And for a rookie lefty, heck yeah, is your fifth starter. That's great. I think I'd sign up for that right now if I were the Brewers. Wade Miley, hoping for the health. Zips is accounting for that as well. Projecting 21 starts for Wade Miley, similar to last year. 110 innings pitch, similar to last year. And a 97 ERA minus. So again, three points better than league average. So you, you get what I'm getting at here. It likes the back half of the Brewers rotation. So you still got, as of now, Burns, Peralta, Miley, Probably Ray is safely in the rotation, and then you got that battle of Ross or Ashby or Gasser. I like that it likes Gasser already. Also, it loves the bullpen. No surprise. Last year, the total bullpen war was 4.7. That's total. That's everybody that threw a pitch out of the bullpen for the Brewers. As of now, the core guys returning, the eight core guys, their projected war alone is 4.0. That's not even including the fill-ins. It's not even including the bulk days where you have a few guys go down and need to you know, stretch out a, a Bryce Wilson day or an Aaron Ashby day. 
So already being projected for 4.0 after having a great year last year. Sign me up for that. Number two, Zips is still a believer, a big believer in Willie Adamas. I think a lot of it has to do with his age. He's still so young. He's still 28. And it's still worried about the strikeouts, but then I, I found something here. If Willie is nothing, Willie is consistent. His strikeout rates, the last four full seasons, 2019, Tampa Bay, 26%. 2021, split between Tampa and Milwaukee, 28%. 2022, 27%. 2023, 26%. See, I mean, it's... It's all right there. It, it, he's consistent. He's going to strike out 150, 160 times a year. That's going to happen. But what he does with the contact, Zips still likes. They wants to see his on-base percentage jump 328, which would also help his WOBA jump as well. And something I found while doing my research here, I'm going to get really nerdy again here, so stay with me. Ex-WOBA, expected weighted on-base average. This is where we take in your stat cast metrics, where we take in your quality of contact, we take your swing and miss, we take your chase, we take all that stuff, your expected WOBA. He, this suggests that he was unlucky. His ex-WOBA was 30 points higher than his actual WOBA, saying if you exist in a vacuum, which it obviously doesn't, if you exist in a vacuum and Willie hits the same balls that he was hitting last year, his WOBA would have been this number, 30 points higher than what it actually was. Last year, it was 310, but Woba, ex-Woba indicated it should have been 340. So that means he would have been 20 points above league average. So they're still a fan of Willie Adamas. He's going to be the shortstop of the Brewers this year. I'd be absolutely flabbergasted if he gets traded between now and the start of the season. Absolutely flabbergasted. So still a big fan of Willie Adamas. And finally, let's talk about the youngins. Let's talk about the freshmen. And starting, of course, with Jackson Churio. What I did was I went back to Zips in 2018 to see what did Zips say for Ronald Acuna when he was arriving. Hotshot prospect, coming into the big leagues as a 20-year-old at some point in the next year. He was down in AAA for a little bit before making the team eventually with the, with the Braves in 2018. Now, Acuna was the rookie of the year that year. So I want to sit here again. I've said this every time we talk about Jackson. It is January 10th. Jackson is still 19 years old. Do not, do not, do not anoint this kid as the rookie of the year, the MVP, all this. The kid is going to be 20 years old on opening day. We still don't even know for sure if he's going to be on the team on opening day. Yes, he signed the extension. I think he should be on the team on opening day. But we will see what happens. Comparing him to Acuna is not fair. Obviously, the actions and the mannerisms are very similar to Acuna. But let's see what happens. Zips in 2018, was a massive fan of Acuna. Expected his WOBA to be 329 back in 2018. His actual WOBA was ridiculous. He won the Rookie of the Year for a reason. But the other thing that pointed out to me, so it's looking at a 308 WOBA, which would be about 10 points less than league average this year for Churio, which again, as a 20-year-old, I'm in. I'm good with that. But it was curiously... I think it's off on its strikeout for Churio. He doesn't strike out. And you got to remember, in the first half of the double-A season last year, 
He was dealing with a ball that was breaking more than usual because they were using the sticky, pre-tacked baseball in the Southern League. So he had to adjust to that. There were a few more strikeouts than maybe you would expect. He still had a sub-20% strikeout rate in Double A, which is really, really freaking good as a 19-year-old in Double A facing competition way older than you. So I think that is something to keep an eye on. I really want to see if he's able to adjust to big league pitching, how quickly he's able to adjust to big league pitching, like he did at the end of the sticky ball time down in the Southern League, and then he turned that into an impressive second half that got him up to AAA. But it, it likes Jackson Churio. He just doesn't love Jackson Churio like it loved Ronald Acuna back in 2018. Another guy that we want to talk about, Tyler Black, who you brought up earlier. I have said it before. I will say it again, and we'll talk about this in the listener questions coming up. Tyler Black's making my team coming out of spring training. They need him at third base. More on that a little bit later. Zips has him as third on the team in on-base percentage if he played a full season at 342. Only behind William Contreras and Christian Yelich. That's fitting the scouting report, to say the least. Uh, Zips is also calling for Joey Weimer to struggle again with right-handed pitching, but still be good against lefties, which begs the question, with all these lefties in the outfield, with Mitchell and with Freelich, does Weimer create a platoon with one of those guys? Another freshman, let's talk about Sal Freelich. The, it also does a feature in Zips is player comps, based on the player's age and their make and profile and things like that. The first player comp for Sal Freelich entering his age 24 season was Jacoby Ellsbury. 2008 Jacoby Ellsbury, fresh off of a Red Sox World Series. He won, or did not win Rookie of the Year, I beg your pardon, that year. He was third in Rookie of the Year in the AL in 2008. But he had a very good season. Now, Jacoby's going to steal a lot more bases than Sal, but Zips really likes Sal's contact ability. And by the way, Ellsbury had a 4.2 war that year in 2008. I don't think Sal's going to turn in four war, but hey, I'd love to be wrong about that. So that's a little bit of your primer on Zips. We'll link it in the uh, show notes as well. If you want to read more about Zips, uh, I'll have the definition in there and how he came about it. I'll also have the direct link on Fangraphs for Zips as well. All right. That took longer than expected, but let's talk to some listener questions. 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. Let's get to some of these coming up next here on WTMJ. Welcome back. Thank you to Chris for listening. Saw your tweet here. One of our ushers at the uh, at the ballpark talking about AP Stats. AP Stats teacher as well and usher by night. So thanks for listening, Chris. Appreciate you here on the program. Let me get to a few more questions from my Twitter at Dom underscore Catronio. A couple of texts come in here as well. Uh, again, 855-616-1620. We're going to just shy of the top of the hour. So if you got them, get them in. 855-616-1620. This was a, an in-depth question from Steven Anderson at S underscore Mick Anderson on Twitter. And he just kind of goes into each position battle. So let me just touch on each of these really quickly. Who's the right fielder between Garrett Mitchell, Joey Weimer, and Sal Freelich? Again, as I just mentioned, is Joey Weimer going to be the fourth outfielder platooning with one of these guys? Because the Brewers, they're a platoon team. This is what they do. And it's going to be one of my topics with Matt Arnold on Saturday at the Winter Warm-Up. Again, listen from 10 to noon. I'll have Matt Arnold on the program in the first hour of the show, along with plenty of other guests, talking about... You've got too many outfielders, obviously, and... If you're going to trade from a position group, it's going to be one of those guys, and that would create some room for the Brewers. Now, if opening day was tomorrow, 
I'd probably put Freelich in right field and Mitchell in center. And Weimer would be in AAA for me. And I'd have Blake Perkins as my fourth outfielder. But granted, you're going to be having Jackson Churio. You may not even have room for Blake Perkins. And that's also assuming another question on this. Who's the DH right now? It might be Christian Yelich. I think Yelly is going to DH a lot more this season than he has in years past. Well, because you don't have the catcher issue. You don't have the catcher issue. You've got multiple backup catchers to choose from. And eventually when Jefferson Caro is ready, he will be on this team by the end of the year, I would hope, if he's healthy. But you can keep him as the DH and see what happens. The problem with that, though, of course, if you have Eric Haas or uh, you know Austin Nola, who was signed to a minor league deal last week, if he makes the team... Those guys are catching. Williams going to be DHing those days. He's not coming out of the lineup. So then you have to deal with Yelly and left. And where do you put Churio? Where do you put Freela? So there's a logjam. That's something to be figured out right now. I'm not 100% sure who the DH is right now. I don't think they would bring up Churio to DH as a 20 year old in his first year in the bigs. Let's talk about second base. Oliver Dunn, Bryce Terang, the field. This is going to be maybe one of the key battles to watch in spring training. They're both left handed. So Terang. Really struggled at the end of the season. He had one extra base hit his last 152 plate appearances. Obviously, the glove is spectacular. Oliver Dunn acquired from the Phillies. Great year with a great eye, but maybe they want to see him in AAA, right? He's won AA year with the Phillies and previously with the Yankees. Maybe they want to see him a little bit in AAA. He had a 506 slugging in triple in AA, but here's the catch. Only one of his 21 home runs was off of a left-handed pitcher. Again, it comes back to the platooning thing. They're not going to keep both of them on the big league roster. I could see them putting Dunn in AAA and seeing what he can do playing every day. Who's at first base? I've been on record. Bowers is probably not plan A. They've been linked to Carlos Santana. I'll wait until Santana signs before I make a take on what's going to happen at first base. And I've been on record saying third base should be a platoon between Tyler Black and Andrew Monasterio, unless Tyler Black wants to take over every day or until Brock Wilkin is ready sometime in the next two years, first-round pick last year for the Brewers. But really do appreciate the question there from Steven. Uh, also filled in uh, a question from Detroit Brewers here. What player would you like the Brewers to try to sign or trade for? Who would you be willing to give up on the Brewers roster? Mentioned about the outfield. Honestly, it's Reese Hoskins, and this is money's no object. And I'm like, it, it, makes, it makes too much sense for Reese Hoskins, but if it... No, no position player has really been signed at this point. I don't know what they're waiting for. Maybe he wants three or four years. Maybe the Brewers are only willing to do two. I, I, it's just too much of a fit with right-handed power, projected to have like 30-ish homers again. I know the ACL scares some people, but I'm in on Reese Hoskins. Uh, another one, Tyler Labs asked this on Twitter. The underrated prospects list just came out. Just tell me why not to be so excited about Luke Adams. MLB Pipeline put out. Uh, like kind of like the sleeper prospect stuff. Jacob Mizorowski was on that list as far as best closer right now, even though he's a starter, but I digress. We'll talk to some something about that this weekend. But Luke Adams, he's still really young. Uh, Brewers signed him two years ago out of the draft. He's only going to be 20 in April. One year in A-ball, don't overreact. Let's see him grow. But a 135 weighted runs created plus in Carolina with Zebulon. Really, really good stuff from him. Uh, a text or a tweet here from Vincent Hesprick. I hope I'm saying that right. Sorry, Vince. How many innings do Gasser and Junk pitch, and what sort of production should Brewer fans be expecting? I think Gasser would pitch more than Junk, but Junk is probably your break glass in case of emergency. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we see Junk out of the bullpen. Remember last game of the season last year, he was touching mid-90s, 96. You don't normally have more velo at the end of the season. That was shocking. That was really, really good stuff from Jack, uh, from Jansen Junk. I still believe that Robert Gasser, the fifth starter spot is his to lose. He had a great year in AAA. He's done everything the Brewers have asked for him. It's time. I, I think it's a good fit for him to be the fifth starter right now. Let me get to two more here before we take our last break. Uh, and I got a few more texts to get in here as well. 855-616-1620. This one from Joseph. What is the Brewers' true goal for this season? Is it likely to be a soft rebuilding year to prepare for 2025 or fighting for the playoffs in 2024? And piggybacking off of that, Adam also asks, can this team genuinely compete for a championship this season? This team's going to finish above 500 as it stands right now. This team's going to fight for the playoffs. As we saw with the Diamondbacks last year, just get in. As we saw with the Phillies two years ago, just get in. Just get in. It's a crapshoot. We know. And I know you don't want to hear that. And I know it sounds lame to say you're not going for it. You're not pushing your chips all in like the Dodgers. They're spending all this. This market can't do that. I'm sorry. It just Dodgers can't. have also put their chips in the middle of the table every single year for the past right. how many years and how many World Series exactly. do they have? There's an no one way to win a World Series. Getting in is a great way to do it, in my opinion. Uh, as far as Joseph's part, is it a soft rebuilding year? The only reason it would be a soft rebuilding year is if they trade Corbin Burns in the middle of the year. If they realize in June, you know what? This team's not good enough. We need to retool. Because something you have to keep in mind, and I'll end, I'll end this part of it with this. With Corbin Burns being a starting pitcher in the trade rumors, and like, oh, you trade him at the deadline. No one's going to want him on July 31st or August 1st and only get like eight starts out of him. You're going to kind of have to make that decision in like June or like late June and try to set the market and say, like, all right, maybe we can get an over return on Corbin Burns if they decide to pull the plug early. So that's something to keep in mind. I still think this team can compete in the Central because the Central's wide open. I know the Cubs just signed Shota Imanaga. I know the Reds have been really good. Pirates are still a year away. I, I think I'm supposed to believe in the Cardinals, but I don't know why. So the Central's wide open. Take advantage of it while you're in this transition phase. Take our last break. Let me get to a few more texts here as well, a few more questions as we get ready to wrap up Brewers Weekly after this. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Last few seconds here, Tom and Puwaki asking, what about Wes Clark? Didn't crack the top 30 play first base. I do want to see him play in AAA uh, before we get too much about first base. And first base is a new-ish position for him, was mostly a catcher. Uh, and the other text here about what the Brewers need to be true competitors, they need power. Plain and simple, they need power. They have almost no power right now. Unfortunately, that's all the time for this show I have. See you Saturday, 10 to 12. Until next time, keep on swinging.